that works for me. And then that gets us to a place where we're kind of revisiting one of the big comments in here that we're gonna have to spend time on. Um, I'm gonna probably push us through faster because we have read this. If there's questions, please bring them up. Uh, but I will push us through faster because I'd rather us get to the discussion of the overall uh, section, which I think is gonna be happening. So I'll go ahead and uh, kick us off then. Uh, thank all of you for joining us on this lovely Tuesday for the Deleuze and Guattari Quarantine Collective ongoing reading of Anti-Oedipus. This is our second read-through, and we are on uh, section 3.3. As always, you can find us on Twitter, D and G Q C. Uh, if you support what we're doing, please, uh, every dollar counts, uh, uh, DGQC on Patreon. Uh, we're going to be reading and continuing our reading of 3.3 from the bottom of uh, 160, it looks like. Uh, and uh, you can follow along. I'll stream into the stream into the chat. Uh, you should be able to follow along if you're uh, on our YouTube, uh, if you're watching the video. Um, and I'll just go ahead and dive immediately underway, uh, which should be great. We'll see who else shows up. Um, Greel's article is without doubt the text most profoundly inspired by psychoanalysis in the whole of anthropology. Yet it leads to conclusions that cause the whole of Oedipus to shatter, because it is not content to pose the problem in extension, thereby assuming its solution. These are the conclusions drawn by Adler and Cartry. Quote, it is customary to consider incestuous relations in myth either as the expression of the desire or the nostalgia for a world where such relations would be possible or would meet with indifference, or as the expression of a structural function of the inversion of the social rule, a function destined to, find, to found the prohibition and its transgression. In both instances, one takes as something already constituted what is in fact the emergence of an order that the myth narrates and explains. In other words, one reasons as if the myth placed on the stage persons defined as father, mother, brother, and sister, whereas these roles belong to the order constituted by the prohibition. Incest does not exist. Incest is pure limit. Provided the two false, provided that two false beliefs concerning the limit are avoided, one that makes the limit a matrix or an origin, as though the prohibition proved that the thing was first desired as such. Another that makes the limit a structural function, as though the supposedly fundamental relationship between desire and law were manifested in transgression. It is necessary to recall once more that the law proves nothing about an original reality of desire, because it essentially disfigures the desired and that the transgression proves nothing about a functional reality of the law because far from being a mockery of it far from being a mockery of the law it is itself derisory in relation to what the law prohibits in reality the reason why revolutions have nothing to do with transgressions in short the limit is neither a this side of nor a beyond it is the boundary line between the two incest the shall slandered shallow stream, always crossed already or not yet crossed. For incest is like this motion, it is impossible, and it is not impossible in the same sense that the real would be impossible, but quite the contrary, in the sense that the symbolic is. I didn't reread, <laughs> I didn't reread, uh, re listen to where we left off, so maybe I'm going to give a slightly different analysis this time. 
Uh, but uh, again, I think uh, the underlying thing that he's pointing out here and that they're talking about, he, he and Guat, um, is, is talking through the idea of how incest functions within these, what are, you know, uh, uh, savage uh, prehistory times, whatever it may be. Uh, the, the line that they use from Adler and Cartree that is very particular is the idea that one takes something already constituted what is in fact the emergence of an order that the myth narrates and explains. In other words, one reasons as if the myth placed on the stage persons defined as father, mother, brother, and sister, whereas these rules belong to the order constituted by the prohibition. Uh, when we look back and we have a conversation around Oh yes, uh, I have a nuclear family. I am a father. I have a father. I have my mother. I have my wife. We have a child. She is mother. This is our matrix that exists in our lovely, uh, in Freud Victorian time or today in capital. Uh, the the matrix that this is, we look back and go, oh well, and you know they also didn't fuck because of the incest prohibition, and they really wanted to, but we start with the idea that they have a thing like mother, father, brother, sister because that's our coordination, and it's not necessarily the case. Uh, in fact, it's not the case, and that's kind of their point here, is uh, the, the myth placed on the stage these persons, uh, because the roles belong to the prohibition itself, not necessarily to the realities of the ground on the, in the reality of life and lived experience of these people. That's why I read this sort of take, and it's uh, that line, incest does not exist, uh, doesn't exist in specifically we're talking about back then now it does because we've got father mother daddy and we've got this very specific uh, nuclear family uh matrix that we live within Let's yeah i always uh kind of understood this not as like uh, like uh like the physical act of uh, a child having sex with their mother as not existing or being impossible, but rather that, like, due to the way people take up social positions within this kind of uh, society, that, like, somebody couldn't both occupy the position of, like, desired beloved and mother. Like, you, you couldn't have, like, like the, the same person wouldn't fill both positions. So, like, you couldn't be committing incest in in this form of like the conceptualization of it. Yeah, and and the thing that they mentioned very specifically is the way that uh, laws uh, don't show us what desire is, but instead they they pervert desire, they they bend it to its its own will, um, because law, as one of the paralogisms, uh, if we jump back to the discussion we had on the five paralogisms and a lot of things inside of the, uh, <clears throat> the specifically the second chapter of the book, uh, the, the idea of uh, a law showing what desire wants, uh, it's actually what happens is uh, the desire is presented with this falsified image of what it wants in the act of prohibiting it, uh, and then becomes trapped, I think it's the first paralogism, uh, the double bind uh, displacement, uh, because people discover what they desire at the same time they desire discover they can't have it. Um, but it's a semiotic system of representation that's doing this, that's sort of impeding the natural flows of desire. Uh, and it, it messes with things. It, it's, it's a really uh, 
sort of yeah it's a it's a really important nugget i keep going back over it's a really important nugget the way that representation plays here um yeah this is also territorialization and um, codification though right because what's um what's being established here is not incest as uh, a kind of entity or being right but we're talking about distributions and functionalities to the section opening up with newman right so with with incest um not existing but instead providing a pure limit right we're seeing how this is um one how it's not an edible problem like we're saying but the way the roles are distributed and the function of um, the functions that are enabled by affiliation and alliance create and provide a limit right so incest isn't the condition for affiliation and alliance right but it does provide a sort of um like you were saying a uh, bending of desire, right? A kind of conditioning of desire in sort of a maybe a more Pavlovian sense. Uh, oh, that's not exactly right, but anyways, yeah, uh, right? So incest doesn't precede desire, doesn't precede or provide a condition for the system, but instead this, um, this territorialization in the primitive actually creates its own limit, right? And we're going to see this, this point get hammered home in the following two soci, the way limits are created and also later on displaced. Completely. And uh, to Boskerd's point, it makes me wonder, Boskerd says, it makes me wonder if there was some pre-limit artifact of prohibition, kind of like how certain instinctual repulsions exist prior to their societal edification or obfuscation. Um, I, a lot of this that they're talking through here, and I'm going to go back to Bataille. We're doing a Bataille reading on Sundays. Uh, I've, I've been hooked into leading, but uh, we're reading erotism where Bataille's actually literally going over these instinctual repulsions and taboos and the nature of taboos around death, sex, reproduction, and all of that, and how that gets uh, sort of taught into us. And I would be, I, I think it would be really interesting to have a conversation around what pre-limit taboos that there are that exist that aren't societally placed on us or that aren't the result of a law we've set or a representation uh, that has been repressed. Uh, a repressing representation that's introduced, I suppose, is how they would say it uh, in AO. It'd be, it'd be interesting to have that conversation, for sure. Um, to continue the next paragraph. But what does it mean to say that incest is impossible. Isn't it possible to go to bed with one sister or mother? And how do we dispense with the old argument? It must be possible, since it is prohibited. The problem lies elsewhere. The possibility of incest would require both persons and names, son, sister, mother, brother, father. Now, in the incestuous act, we can have persons at our disposal, but they lose their names inasmuch as these names are inseparable from the prohibition that prescribes them as partners or else the names subsist and designate nothing more than pre-personal intensive states that could just as well extend to other person, as when one calls his legitimate wife mama or one sister his wife. It is in this sense that we said we are always on the side of it or beyond. Our mothers and our sisters melt in our arms, their names slide on their persons like a stamp that is too wet. This is because one can never enjoy the person and the name at the same time. Yet, this would be the condition for incest. Granted, incest is a lure, it is impossible. But the problem is only deferred. 
is not is that not the nature of desire that one desires the impossible at least in this instance the platitude is not even true we are reminded how illegitimate it is to conclude from the prohibition anything regarding the nature of what is prohibited for the prohibition proceeds by dishonoring the guilty that is to say by inducing a disfigured or displaced image of the thing that is really prohibited or desired indeed this is how social repression prolongs itself by means of a psychic repression without which it would have no grip on desire. What is desired is the intense germinal or germinative flow, where one would look in vain for persons or even functions discernible as father, mother, son, sister, etc., since these names only designate intensive variations on the full body of the earth determined as the German. It is always possible to use the term incest, as well as indifference to incest, for this regime composed of one and the same thing or flow, varying in intensity according to inclusive disjunctions. But that is precisely the problem. One cannot confound incest, as it would be in this intensive non-personal regime that would institute it, with incest as represented an extension in the state that prohibits it, and that defines it as a transgression against persons. Jung is therefore entirely correct in saying that the Oedipus complex signifies something together different, altogether different from itself, and that in the Oedipal relation, the mother is also the earth, and incest is an infinite renaissance. He is wrong in thinking. He is wrong only in thinking that he has thus transcended sexuality. The somatic complex refers to a germinal implex. Incest refers to a this side of, that cannot be represented as such in the complex since the complex is an element derived from this, this side of. Incest, is, as it is prohibited, the form of discernible persons, is employed to repress incest as it is desired, the substance of the intense earth. The intensive germinal flow is the representative of desire. It is against this flow that the repression is directed. The Extensive edible figure is its displaced representative. The lure or fake image born of repression that comes to conceal desire. It matters little that this image is impossible. It does its work from the moment that desire lets itself be caught as though by the impossible itself. You see, that is what you wanted. However, it is this conclusion going directly from the repression to the repressed and from the prohibition to the prohibited that already implies the whole paralogism of social repression. Uh, said better than I was saying it, it's spot on. That's what we were talking about, basically, to me, at least. That's it's spot on. That's it's, it's having that conversation and talking through it. And I love this entire thing around the idea of that, you know, incest is impossible, how the law comes in and sort of places us in this organization and how we start off as... I don't know, intensities before we're labeled as people on a stage, which I like that, the way that they talk about that in the previous paragraph. It's, it's, it's such a poetic, interesting way to sort of introduce this idea of uh, when they were talking the paralogism, it was so clinical uh, when they were talking about, oh, it's desire goes underneath here and representation above this. But they're starting to like, here's actually how it works. And you can start seeing, it's like, this is how this gets shoved underneath stuff and how desire gets, you know, you know, transmogrified and become something other than what it really is and how it plays within itself. It's a really, really great example. I love this.
Well, they, they work on each other, right? Because we saw in the beginning of the section that there are inclusive disjunctions taking place on the full body of the Earth, right? So there is, um, the way Newman's working there, there are inclusive disjunctions, but there's also these exclusive ones, right? And that's really important because they just called out the third synthesis, right? So that's what you wanted. And as we talked about way back when we were going over 1.2, right? That schizophrenic and paranoiac distribution, those do work together with the assemblage to produce what will become voluptus, right? Um, especially as we're getting the surplus value of code and production. So it's worth keeping that in mind because what we're, we're encountering here too is the way that, as we were saying, right, there's this kind of tension between uh, roles, representations, and bodies, right? And I think that's very interesting how they're putting this together with the syntheses, but also these paralogisms, right? Because um, we, we even saw it going all the way back to the second page of the section, right? How there are memories created, but there's also this tension between which memory is repressed, right? I remember Remka asking a question about that. And I think this paragraph really um, explicates what's going on there quite nicely. The way that repression and memory creation are actually taking place through affiliation and alliance. Agreed. And it's a. Uh, I, I I have notes I want to come back to when we get through the reading, but it's. I mean, there's just so much here to sort of talk through about how the repression is created, how it plays, how the paralogism plays in, and how it basically creates a worldview that retrospectively reorganizes things that I was a part of or I am a part of. Um, yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, some, real quick, uh, right? yeah, Ken, uh, the terms somatic complex and germinal implex uh, feels like maybe you might be able to shed some light on those terms. Uh, I did some Googling and I maybe not, I don't know, not me for sure. I mean, I guess what I mean. So somatic complex, like, uh, like complex in the body, right? And so you get um, so psychoanalysis believes they start noticing that uh, the with I mean with Freud, but really it starts getting laid into by Klein that there's this um, fantasy or whatever of a fragmented body in schizophrenia, and then that sort of um, the sensation that your that your body's just going to fall apart. So maybe that's what they're talking about there, but I don't know. Can you comment on what somatic means in psychoanalysis? I've heard like psychosomatic, where the it's as though the unconscious is kind of um, producing something that consciousness has to deal with, right? Like hysteria. Is that kind of what they're talking about here, or? Yeah, so it would, it would be the body, right? Soma is somatic. Um, I haven't, you know, run into it where it's like some sort of foundational concept using the word somatic, though. Uh, but yeah, it'd be the body, so it'd be sensation, or like the real of the body where, um, where signifiers get written onto it, um, stuff like that. Or 
So specifically for Freud, because I think this is a reference to Freud, they seem like it's hard to tell because there's a lot of different people who've used these terms, particularly in a few different ways. So from what I was able to tell, the idea of uh, a somatic uh, complex, perhaps uh, somatic symptoms are, as you said, of the body, but it's uh, the experience physically that you might call them the emotion specifically itself, not the result of it, but like the, uh, the anxiety, the depression, the, the apprehension, the blah, blah, blah. That's the somatic symptom. And so the somatic complex here, the complex signifies something altogether different from itself, blah, blah, blah. Referring to a germ germinal implex. It, this is, by the way, these words aren't used anywhere else and I can't find them literally in any literature, period. So maybe we're diving too deep into shit we shouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, the only thing I can think for germinal implex and the implication here is the idea of uh, an implex uh, uh, is the... <clears throat> the implex is uh, when you look at a, a genealogical tree, like an ancestral tree or a, a tree of biological life, uh, the implex is the common ancestor. Uh, it's, 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 this is the term. This is what it's used for. Um, so the, the implex is not just the ancestor. It's the coefficient of the differences between ancestors. Um, oh, yeah, oh, John. Yeah. If anyone can help figure this out, because this is this, they, they don't use these phrases simply, but they also don't throw them in like purely for the shit of it. Uh, it feels like there's more to be said here. And I spent some time and I literally could find no one's done analysis on this that I can find. It's not in any of the secondary literature. Google doesn't turn anything on germinal implex. Uh, the phrase germinal implex and somatic complex. So the only thing I can think of here is that he's talking about the literal physical reaction and complex that all of this gives refers ultimately to the germinal implex that refers to the uh, difference in the moment of creation. Uh, the, the, the emotions that are implied and taken in come from this sort of large-scale secondary representation uh, that has, I don't know, fuck it. This is a thing anyone wants to dive in, feel free, because we're about to have germinal implex talked about again. I'm going to read the next paragraph, and then we'll have the conversation again. <sighs> Actually, before you do, because I'll lose the thought, do you mind if yeah. I... Please try and open up just a little bit. So I think what they've basically done is they've kind of summarized quite eloquently, actually, what we were just talking about, because it sounds like what they're getting at is if you take, um, I mean, we already said this, this is an Oedipus, right? Because we just don't have the conditions for Oedipus in this, um, in dealing with associates, right? In dealing with parent. So where they say the semantic complex refers to a germinal implex, it sounds like what they're getting at is basically, so when we're talking about the bodies and the connections, right, the first synthesis, um, particularly in relation to to incest, right, we're referring to a germinal implex, which sounds like we're saying, they're, they're basically saying there's a tension between the bodies, the partial objects, if you like, but also, um, with the filiations, right, the distributions and the 
um, the different functionalities possible, particularly in the sense of roles like father and mother. Because as we've seen, those don't designate bodies, those designate intensities, right? Intensive affiliations, they say. And that's part of their extension. So I think what they're working out here, especially as they get into this point about the earth, uh, incest as it is prohibited, the form of discernible persons, which I believe is what we were just talking about, that tension between bodies and um, uh, intensive affiliations, is employed to repress incest as it is desired, the substance of the intensive earth. So that last part, I think, is where part of the key comes in, because this is like the the myth about, um, that we saw earlier, where that, um, that dude, there's a nice technical term for you, that dude is trying to um, steal the placenta, right? The placenta um, acting as associates there, acting as, a, uh, acting as the earth in a certain capacity. So I, I think that's what they're working out here is the way that incest has this kind of um, duplex with, uh, as a limit, right, where there's this tension between the, the first and second synthesis, right, the, between the bodies and connections versus the intensive affiliations and perhaps even the representations, but also in the way in which that functions uh, in relation with the socios is something that is... Um, I think something that is actually more directly, I don't want to say desired, but more directly material here. I'm, I'm actually going to, because I've, I've, the, the use of the term specifically in genealogy and biology, uh, the implex, uh, specific, and this actually really flows with what you're saying, Jack, so I'm just going to go with it. Uh, it's actually a, not really the common usage uh, that's specifically around France and this. The term more expected is pedigree collapse, or in German, Aktenschwung, which is loss of lineage. The idea is, uh, if I were to say that all of us going back, we each have, I, I'm going to assume, we all have two parents, a mom and a dad. Uh, uh, we also have, uh, they have two parents, and they have two parents, and they have two parents. The tracking back of this would mean that there's somewhere around a billion ancestors that each of us have, um, but that's not possible because that they overlap. And that's because of specifically this, the implex or uh, the pedigree collapse. The fact that these people occupy multiple roles to each one of us in different ways and varying ways. So suddenly an uncle to me is also a father to someone else or a brother to someone else or a father to someone else. So going back into things and having that conversation around the genealogical implex that is happening here, he's talking about basically that um, the somatic complex refers to the, the germinal implex, the, the birth of these things, the collapse of that referring back the, as these things sort of get subsumed on this side of incest. Incest, as it is prohibited, the form of discernible persons is employed to repress incest as it is desired. The intensive germinal flow is the representative of desire. It is against this flow that the repression is directed. The, the germinal flow of continued procreation and everyone. So that's the reference he's making. It feels like to me that that actually feels a little bit spot on. Uh, oh, Jean-Claire, yeah. thank you. Uh, real quick, uh, putting to lose. 
Oh, it's from difference and repetition. There we go. A whole flow of exchange occurs between intensity and ideas. Ideas are problematic or perplexed virtual multiplicities made up of relations between differential elements. Intensities are implicated multiplicities, implexes, made up of relations between asymmetrical elements. Or take this example from Deleuze and Guattari. Desire machines take form and train their sights along a tangent of deterritorialization that traverses the representative spheres and that runs along the body without organs. Uh, the Yeah, I think the DNR one is probably more spot on here. Uh, made up of relations between asymmetrical elements feels more in line with how I understand implexes to be used as a thing. What an interesting concept. The, the thing I should kind of amend on um, here is, so like in a simple sense, we're seeing an explanation of how flows um, are blocked or uh, let loose, but allowed to flow, right? How the socius kind of uh, is involved in moving them. Now, what we just explained, right, we're about to see some some criticism take place. So um, this next bit of the the section is going to go more directly into. Um, I don't think I did a good job of distinguishing between the criticism of what Deleuze and Watery <laughs> think, but um, there will be a criticism following this, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, let me jump through the next paragraph. Uh... But why is the germinal implex, or influx, repressed since it is nevertheless the territorial representative of desire? Because the thing it refers to, in its capacity as representative, is a flow that would not be codable, that would not let itself be coded, specifically the terror of the primitive socius. Um, yeah, I, Tiernan, I, I literally just read the thing straight above you that you typed in. So <laughs> I just read the... Thing that Jan Claire posted. Um, um, so it's fine. You're good. Um, nothing, no chain could be detached. Nothing could be selected. Nothing would pass from filiation to descent. But descent would be perpetually reduced to filiation in the act of re-engendering oneself. The signifying chain would not form any code. It would only emit ambiguous signs and be perpetually eroded by its own energetic support. What would flow on the full body of the earth would be as unfettered as the non-coded flow, flows that shift and slide on the desert of a body without organs. For it is less a question of abundance or scarcity, of a spring or the exhaustion of a spring, even the drying up of a spring is a flow, than of what is codable or non-codable. The germinal flow is such that it amounts to the same to say that everything would pass or flow with it, or, on the contrary, that everything would be blocked. For the flows to be codable, their energy must allow itself to be quantified and qualified. It is necessary that selections from the flows be made in relation to detachments from the chain. Something must pass through, but something must also be blocked and something must block and cause to pass through. Now, this is possible only in the system in extension that renders persons discernible, that makes a determinate use of signs, an exclusive use of the disjunctive synthesis, and a conjugal use of the connective synthesis. Such is indeed the meaning of the incest prohibition conceived as the establishment of a physical system in extension. One must look in each case for the part of the flow of intensity that passes through, for 
what does not pass, and for what causes passage or prevents it, according to the patrilineal or matrilineal nature of the marriages, according to the patrilineal or matrilineal nature of the lineages, according to a, the genial regime of the extended filiations and the lateral alliances. So there's your primitive terror, right? Why is incest part of the, the limits establishment? Well, it's a, the limit exists in relation to the sphere of what is not codifiable, right? It's the, the pure flows. Uh, I think uh, they already said it, and they will say again that uh, society cannot handle a pure, pure desire, pure flow. Now, let us return to the Dogon preferential marriage, as analyzed by Griol. What is blocked is the relationship with the aunt as a substitute for the mother in the form of a make-believe parent. What passes through is the relationship with the aunt's daughter as a substitute for the aunt as the first possible or permitted incest. What does the blocking or causes passage is the maternal uncle. What passes through leads to, as compensation for what is blocked, a veritable surplus value of code, which falls to the uncle insofar as he causes passage while he suffers a kind of minus value insofar as he does the blocking. Thus the ritual thefts perpetrated by the nephews in the uncle's house, but also, as Griel says, the augmentation and fructification of the uncle's possessions when the oldest of the nephews comes to live with him. The fundamental problem, who has the right to the matrimonial protestations in a given system, cannot be resolved independently of the lines of passage and the lines of blockage, as if what was blocked or prohibited reappeared in marriages in spectral form, coming to demand its due. Loftier writes, uh, Loftier, Loftier, it's going to be Loftier, isn't it? It is. Loftier writes of a specific case, quote, among the Mru, the patrilineal model predominates over the matrilineal tradition. The brother-sister relationship, which is transmitted from father to son and mother to daughter, can be transmitted indefinitely through the father-son relationship, but not through the mother-daughter relationship, which terminates with the daughter's marriage. A married daughter transmits to her own daughter a new relationship, namely that which joins her to her own brother. At the same time, a daughter who marries becomes detached not from her brother's line, but solely from that of her mother's brother. The significance of the payments to the mother's brother upon the marriage of his niece can be understood only in the following way. The girl leaves the previous family group to which her mother belongs. The niece becomes herself a mother and the point of departure for a new brother-sister relationship on which a new alliance is founded." End quote. What is prolonged? What comes to a halt? What is detached? And the different relationships according to which these actions and passions are distributed help us to understand the formation mechanism of the surplus value of code as an indispensable element of any coding of flows. Flows of uh, the uncoded flows as they move through people, uh, they make people things as people are coded and turned into elements how flows are blocked, moved on, you know, stolen and taken for their own usage, whatever it may be. Uh, it's a good way to map shit.
I'm I, I like this paragraph. It's crisp. Any questions, please? Uh, Rim K asked, is this what they meant with the viewpoint? <clears throat> Rim K asked, is this what they meant with, quote, from this viewpoint, the extended system is like a memory of alliances and is like a memory of alliance and of words, implying an active repression of the intense memory affiliation. It never was good at side reading. I, I kind of Rimke remember there's a twist on that because they, they turned the screw so as to say and this is a this is a really um you'll see this rhetorical move elsewhere, particularly when we get to those those famous graphs in chapter four. They'll do this move where they'll say from this viewpoint, from this perspective, this follows, right? And then they're going to say, however we think. And if you go back to that page, they'll actually, at the end of that paragraph, they write something to that effect. But otherwise, kind of, because what you're seeing here is the way that the syllogisms and paralogisms operate, right? Because they're using the myth not to represent anything, but to, but to actually to, um, to look at the myth and its functionality, right? Which is to, um, which is to actually do things, right? Because we're seeing here how uh, even in the first synthesis, there's parts detaching the signifying chain, right? So it's not necessarily the phallus, but that's one possible detachment. Then that leads into the way that um, something like law will distribute, right? Uh, whatever that is, um, more fundamentally, how a, a distribution of the second paralogism will create exclusive disjunctions, right? We'll take cues from something like a, um, a partial object become whole or the creation of global persons, right? Because one of the major things we're seeing here is that when someone is hunting, they are not a hunter per se, but they are functioning through an intensity of hunting, right? Kind of, kind of sounds strange, but the point there is to say it's not a state of being a hunter per se so much as it is a, um, I hope this makes it simple, a becoming hunter, right, where that that state of being a hunter is enabled. Shirak uh, 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 asked a question. Um, is this is this thing about decoding flows a reference to how one becomes a commodity in a more abstract sense? Um, I mean, it's it's not a direct reference at that. Um, the the use of flows is an old term used sort of in anthropological and ethnological circles to talk about the sort of movement of people and things and stuff uh, sort of as a simpler sort of the idea of kind of how things move through societies or how things move around them. Uh, coding and decoding them uh, here specifically, I think, their references to, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, because this is actually really great. We've never actually talked through literally what a flow is. Uh, their reference here is essentially desire. The desire is the flow, the, uh, the Newman, libido, whatever you want to call sort of that, uh, that base uh, layer of desire and the stuff that's pushing into it. Um, that is the reference here. And so... The idea of decoding that is, is sort of like pure flows, like un unused, just purely not slowed down going desire, which is whatever it is. Um, the coding it, coding everything is turning 
that pure desire, the mechanics behind it, the movement of it, what is happening, and calling it a thing and, and setting that up. I mean, are these, are these flows mediated like at every step of the way? Or whenever we say pure flows, do we mean like completely unmediated flows of desire? To me, that's, that's the difference between coded and decoded or uncoded. Is it mediated or unmediated? Maybe I think I would be in my brain. I could probably use those fairly interchangeably and maybe it's stupid that I say that. Um, but we're talking about like the, the just flows of desire, desire as a thing, just out it goes. Um, but then like every step of the way it is mediated immediately. The first step is it's, it's produced off it goes. Well, then we have disconnection and we have slicing off, creating of the BWO. And as it goes, we also have that energy turn into Newman and suddenly, hi, here I am, I'm a subject. But then like it's, desire doesn't stop there. It's just, that's kind of that, that intersection. And now all of those subjects and Newman are interplaying and we have the second regime, which is the social structures and the desiring machines and social machines that make that up. But the flows are just flowing and it's, uh, uh, there's, wonderful artwork you can see where people have made uh through water pressure uh they make these massive or wind pressure these massive sculptures move and it's kind of amazing and it that kind of thing is what i'm picturing they see as essentially the base layer of everything at the very tiniest level and it's every step of that is coding or all of that decoded would be if we just had a release valve at some point that the water just shot out and didn't do anything mm -hmm. As a body, is it possible to experience a pure flow? I mean, maybe that's too abstract of a question, but. I don't, I would say no as a body, but also yes, not as a body. I mean, I don't know. There's a whole thing there. I've read a couple different books on such a thing, and it's a really interesting conversation, I think. But specifically here, like we're talking about Again, they're talking about how, how desire flows and how flows work through these societies. And they're saying like, look, look where the desire is blocked. Look where desire happens. Look how it's coded and how it's reassigned and how it's put into this place or that place. You have the aunt and the maru, and they use the example from Loftier. It's a, the daughter uh, at some point doesn't, it just, it's not the lineage carried through in the same way that like, Father, son, father, son. I, the son eventually becomes a father and that lineage is carried. Uh, that's my experience uh, personally. And I think that's old, old, definitely stuff. You know, you have that. But in the old time setup, uh, women were married off and they became, they lose their last name or they become part of a separate tribe or whatever it may be. And because of that, the mother daughter pass on uh, that lineage, that flow gets off you go and then you're over there we have a connection but now that flow is connected and the the uncle is stopping the son and so that's blocked but it's released because now the son gets to go have another and then like all of this complexity is about recoding those flows that very specific familial flow and showing how alliances come from it like it's to me this is like the study of like it's almost a network theory of understanding the connections of desiring flows and how they move that's how i read it I think, um, Ken, your question, can can a body experience the pure flow? I think actually an answer to that might not be in anti-Oedipus as much as it's within um, 
Bergson's matter and memory. Uh, where Bergson, he's going to basically describe a body then uh, as a, a, a center of indeterminate action. Uh, he doesn't limit body just to the human body, though that's the example that he uses repeatedly, but in his idea, body is a, a center of indeterminate action, right? And uh, when we start talking about perception and sensation, the way the body experiences the flow of experience, the the perception and sensation are ultimately determined within the actions that the body is even capable of taking upon its surrounding. And I think Deleuze would probably almost continue that line of thinking. Uh, if you were to say, like, can a body experience a pure flow? It's, it's like, we don't, the, the, the body can only perceive, like, uh, what it's capable of acting upon to begin with, like the, the, the things that are capable of acting upon it. I really like that. I really like that, Ben. When you guys say pure flow, do you mean decoded flow in that sense? Uh, I don't actually know what it was meant by pure flow, but I just kind of like had an ad hoc understanding of pure flow to mean not just uncoded, but the the, the uncodable that they talk about the the flow that not not only is decoded, but uh, the, the uncodable or the the that that kind of flow cool thank you yeah i think this is we'll, we'll save that i want to continue charging forward to get through the reading um but definitely we'll come back and we're getting we're getting there We are now able to outline the various instances of territorial representation in the primitive socius. In the first place, the germinal influx of intensity conditions all representation. It is the representative of desire. But if it is termed representative, it is because it is equivalent to the non-coded, non-codable, non-coded, or decoded flows. Well, there you go. There's three versions of that. In this sense, it implies in its own way, the socius's limit, the limit or the negative of every socius. The repression of this limit is possible only to the extent that the representative itself undergoes a repression. This repression determines what part of the influx will pass through and what will not in the system in extension, what will remain blocked or stocked in the extended filiation, and, on the contrary, what will move and flow following the relations of alliance in such a way that the systematic coding of the flows will be carried out. We call this the second instance, the repressing representation itself. Alliance, since the affiliations become extended only in terms of lateral alliances that measure their variable segments, whence the importance of these local lines that Leach has identified in which two by two organize the alliances and arrange machines the marriages. Arrange machine. It's a terrible translation sometimes. Uh, I'm going to assume uh, machine as in produce is the thing here. Uh, so I'm going to reset that sentence. Whence the importance of these local lines that Leach has identified in which two by two organize the alliances and produce the marriages. When we ascribe to them a perverse normal activity, 
we meant that these local groups were the agents of repression, the great coders, wherever men meet and assemble to take wives for themselves, to negotiate for them, to share them, etc., one recognizes the perverse tie of a primary homosexuality between local groups, between brothers-in-law, co-husbands, childhood partners. It's an awkward translation, uh, for sure. Um, it's also a good line. It's, anyone want to explain it to me? Jack, go for it. Oh, um, yeah, sure. So the, the one I was talking about was actually wherever men meet and assemble to take wives for themselves, negotiate for them to share them, etc. Sounds like Quadri right there. One recognizes the perverse tie of a primary sexuality between local groups, between brothers-in-law, co-husbands, partners. So, I mean, part of the joke there is, right, like, um, we've, we've seen how homosexuality, sexuality, and that, right, these are... These are intensities, right? These are um, functionalities. It's not so much a, like a biological state. It's biosocial, right? And so I think part of the joke they're making there, although it's not just a joke, right? It's the normal black humor is, of course, that, um, as they point out, women don't need help circulating, right? They can circulate themselves in society. So what we're seeing here is this perversion, which is a term they'll carry on into the... Um, other socii, right? So, like the the despotic socius was never without his. Um, I think they call it the bush perverts, and here it's the village perverts. But th this comes up again and again, right? So the agents um, in this perversion, more so in this, um, I think we can safely say this is something exclusive disjunction, uh, or at least the way that the flows are going to happen, right, in relation to socius. It's being acted upon such that um, affiliation and alliance, I think, are kind of specially deployed here, right? So the perverts, um, you might say there's a kind of law being used here in that paralogistic sense. And this play on homosexuality, I think, is that, um, you know, it's not like what they're kind of getting at is, um, you know, this isn't a marriage about um, procreative sexuality, right, as is often considered, right? So, right, to, you know, one of the standard ways of looking at marriage is uh, not only something like um, power is a noun, but this um, this ability to reproduce and have children, typically men. Uh, Deleuze and Guadalupe are saying it's not exactly like that, right? Because um, in a way, it's more about this alliance affiliated feature, especially where the alliance, this intensive usage, is one where the people doing the negotiations are actually produced as um, one sort of this play on homosexuality, right? So it's kind of, um, you know, they're fucking themselves in a sense, right? It's, um, that's a little bit more than that, right? Because it's this point about uh, the homo. So the set being, if we put it into a set, people in a certain positionality, right? Say different uncles all coming together as uncles, if you will, to work in terms of a, or it could even be uncles, fathers, what have you, the point is, I think, what what puts them into a, a single set is the way that they're coming together in relation to this flows, um, passage, and uh, blockage, right? Which isn't something that's purely intentional. This is something that's actually producing them. Any notes or thoughts or questions before we move on to uh, second to last paragraph? So I just want to kind of get 
kicking through this. All right. Underlining the universal fact that marriage is not an alliance, a transaction between a man and a woman, but an alliance between two families, a transaction between men concerning women, Georges Devereux, Devereux drew the correct conclusion of a basic homosexual motivation of a group character. Through women, men establish their own connections, though through the man-woman disjunction, which is always the outcome of filiation, alliance places in connection men from different filiations. The question why a female homosexuality hasn't given rise to Amazon groups capable of negotiating for men perhaps finds its reply in women's affinity with the germinal influx, resulting in the enclosed position of women in the midst of extended filiations, filiation hysteria as opposed to alliance paranoia. Male homosexuality is Therefore, the representation of alliance that represses the ambiguous signs of intense bisexual filiation. However, Devereux seems to us to be wrong on two occasions. First, when he admits having recoiled too long before this, so serious, he says. Discovery of a homosexual representation? There we merely see a primitive version of the formula all men are homosexuals, and to be sure, they are never more so than when they arrange marriages. Then again, and this is his most serious error, when he wants to make of this homosexuality of alliance a product of the Oedipus complex as something repressed, alliance can never be deduced from the line, sorry, I misread that. Then again, and this is his most serious error, when he wants to make of this homosexuality of alliance, when he wants to make of this homosexuality of alliance, a product of the Oedipus complex as something repressed. It's just an awkward sentence, sorry. Um, we'll come back to it. Alliance can never be deduced from the lines of filiation through the intermediary of Oedipus. On the contrary, alliance articulates them, impelled by the action of the local lines and their non-Oedipal primary homosexuality. And if it is true that there exists an Oedipal or filiative homosexuality, this should be understood merely as a secondary reaction to this group homosexuality, non-Oedipal at first. Um, oof, gross. I'm trying to figure out what it's saying. I can't. I, mean, I get the paragraph. Um, I mean, the paragraph's fairly crisp. I mean, do we have to go over it significantly? Because it's a, it's a tangent, for sure. I'll wait for Chirac to write. Because it's, it's basically said through that yeah, reject daddy, embrace absurdity. Not far from it. Uh, it's this first two sentences are basically the whole paragraph, and then they kind of just go deep. Uh, through women, men establish their own connections. Through the man-woman disjunction, which is always the outcome of affiliation, alliances place in connection men from different affiliations, which is a lot of what Jack was saying. So it's continuing that. Um, I'm going to finish out the chapter, and then we'll open it up for going back through and having conversations. Uh, as for Oedipus in general, it is not the repressed, that is, the representative of desire, which is on this side of, and completely ignorant, of daddy-mommy. Nor is it the repressing representation, which is beyond and which renders the persons discernible only by subjecting them to the homosexual rules of alliance. Incest is only the retroactive effect of the repressing representation on the repressed representative. The representation disfigures or displaces this representative against which it is directed. It projects onto the representative, 
categories rendered discernible that it has itself established. It applies to the representative terms that did not exist before the Alliance organized the positive and the negative into a system of extension. System in extension. The representation reduces the representative to what is blocked in this system. Hence Oedipus is indeed the limit, but the displaced limit that now passes into the interior of the socius. Oedipus is the baited image with which desire allows itself to be caught. Oh, that's what I wanted. The decoded flows were incest. Then a long story begins, the story of Oedipalization. But to be exact, everything begins in the mind of Laius, the old group homosexuality, the group homosexual, the pervert, who sets a trap for desire. For desire is that too, a trap. Territorial representation comprises these three instances. The repressed representative, the repressing representation, and the displaced representative. It's a lot there, uh, and it's a summary of the entire section, which is wonderful. Um, let's do it. Uh, questions on this one, and then we'll start moving backwards, and then we'll just fully open it up for questions across 3.3 .3 or anything that we've talked about. One thing I do want to say is the uh, line here, uh, that's what you wanted. The decoded flows were incest. Would I, It further confirms that when they talk about flows, they're talking about sort of those the flows of desire, the, the, the push, the passions, the forward energy uh, that is uh, nomina, whatever, there's a million things. Libido, as they constantly say. Uh, Rimka starts, can you or anyone explain the difference between repressing representation and repressed representative? Oh my. Uh, Do you yeah. The, go for it, Do Jack. you remember the page where they go into it? I'm, I'm going back to look for the, the definitions they give because I remember saying, I don't think we have um, enough to really work out with um, the case in point on these, but it seems like now we, uh, we can't avoid the, the question anymore. So I can, I can give a shot to this because, uh, and I'm going to be reading from uh, Eugene Holland's, I'll be referencing uh, Holland's uh, work on Antioedipus's Introduction to Schizoanalysis, um, where he goes through Desiring Machines and the Five Paralogisms. Um, and it's, I don't even know if it's necessarily that they chose the worst words. It's that they happen to have chose a lot of alliteration and words that sound kind of the same. And it just kind of sucks mentally to have this, like, as far as things go, usually they're very good and poetic and they do a really good job of things. But like, hey, no, it's the repressing representation, but the repressed representative inside of the repressing representative also. And it's like, what the fuck? What's going on here? Um, um, wherever they go through... If you just take one of those words and you, you kind of hop, hop into like the halfway through chapter two or so, it should make control F. It should give you where they go into the three types. I can't explain it without that passage. I, I don't have that sound. That's fine. I got it. In my fingertips. Uh, it's, uh, uh, fuck. Uh, well, the, the numbers are all fucked up in my stupid copy. Uh, 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 First is the problem of Oedipus, uh, which is 3-3. Three, three. Uh, I mean, repressed representation. The repressed representative, repressing representation, and the displaced representative. Uh, it's, it's the beginning of 
Ter it's the beginning of uh, two, three, five territorial representation. We're about to get into it is, is primarily where they really get into it early on. They have a couple, page 119, um, the sham rep image uh, seems to be where they are also discussing it. Um, sorry, this is going to be a second because this is really important to sort of nail. Um, all right. The, the paralogism and as it works, uh, I'm going to just read through. It's the paralogism of displacement, specifically 114, Jack. Um, the law tells us you should not marry your mother, should not kill your father, docile subject says, that's what I wanted. Uh, what they call, I'm reading this, what they call, I'll, I'll copy and paste it in, what they call the repressing representation is one thing. It is the signifier of the prohibition, incest, uh, the law, Oedipus. Uh, this signifier entails or indeed generates a corresponding signified, what the losing guitari call the displaced representative by which they mean the distorted image of desire produced by the representation itself. It's this we refer to as the Oedipus complex, the desire to fuck your mom, the complex of that desire. The referent, however, which the losing guattari refer to as the repressed representative, is something else altogether. Desire itself, in the form it takes operating beneath the prohibitive system of representation in a given mode of social production. What really gets repressed by the prohibition is thus completely different from the false image of it produced by the prohibition. Desire gets displaced onto an erroneous signified belonging to the prohibitive system of representation rather than desire itself. Far from being repressed by the incest prohibition, Oedipal desire is in fact produced by it and then gets repressed by it only after the fact. The Oedipus complex, losing Guattari exist, is a falsified apparent image meant to trap desire. So to understand this, you have to think of this as a machine, uh, as, as a program that's written of how desire sort of gets trapped and fucked up. When we have a law, uh, just as a thing, we have a law and a setup. Um, um, when, when we have a setup and we're having this conversation, uh, Pick a law. Uh, let's go with one that's a little bit more crisp and clear uh, that I've been looking into lately. The old old laws against miscegenation, uh, race mixing uh, in the South. It's the same type of thing. Uh, you're not allowed to do such a thing. This is forbidden. Now, when someone's young and you introduce to them and say, you're not allowed to do this. You can't, you're a, you're a white child. You can't have sex with a black child. Uh, off limits. No. It, what's happened is it, desire itself doesn't know what the fuck white and black is. That's, that's no, no concept. That's not a thing. So, but desire, as it starts sort of going, you have the signifier from the law that places people into the, rule, the realms of white, black, brown, you know, other races. Uh, miscegenation is an awful thing. I'm using it as an example. Um, miscegenation is fine. I, the the, the prohibition is awful. That's a terrible way to phrase it, Brooks. Um, so when, when you when you do this, the first thing that happens is someone goes, oh, I, cool, I didn't really think about my relationship with someone in that way, that I am a white person versus a black person. This, this is the signified, the displaced represented, the distorted image of desire that is placed. Because again, desire doesn't have this. With Oedipus, desire doesn't know mom, sister, dad. It desires just going and being its thing. And... The signifier that comes in goes, 
hey, we've got uh, incest that is prohibited. Prohibited. Imagine you'd never heard of incest or mom or dad. Like, you're blank slate. If I say, hey, you can't fuck your mom. Uh, my mom? Who, who's that? Oh, I'm the son? Oh, and that's my sister. Oh, and I can't do these things. The matrix that's presented to you in the prohibition, the machine that's presented to you, is the prohibition. And what it does is it makes you go, oh, here are the relations I have to have from my position to these other things. This is the repressing representation. The first thing that happens is it generates a signified, the displaced represented, the distorted image of desire. This is the desire to fuck your mom, the actual Oedipus complex. Uh, uh, we may call, if someone has miscegenation prohibited from a young age, uh, they used to have horrifyingly racist terms for women who liked uh, black men or white men who liked uh, black women or vice versa. There's a lot of really terrifyingly racist shit people said, but it became a thing. And it's uh, uh, you know, a, a, the concept jungle fever. Uh, I was just recently watching old Prince and time movies. Like uh, this entire concept as a thing, it, that's the displaced represented. It's this distorted image. I only have that because I've been forced to have this matrix placed in front of me. Beyond all of that though, is we have the repressed represented and it's uh, desire still is pumping, like desire is still going. It's not like desire goes, oh, cool, uh, representation, you have that taken care of, awesome. Uh, it's like, no, it, it, underneath these layers that have now been introduced in this machine, desire is still pumping. And in that layer, you have this fucking wild thing that's happening to desire, the, uh, the form it takes, uh, the, the referent, and it's actually what is getting repressed. And it's completely different from the false image that's produced by the prohibition, the prohibition that created the matrix in the first place that desire didn't even fucking have. So the whole thing traps desire underneath it. And so there's power there. Like you don't trap that and have that pressure without pressure fucking building up. It's totally doing that in this prohibitive system, but it's doing it as the repressed representative as that extra bit. That's my explanation of the three. Using racist terms. I'm, please don't cut that out and just use that against me as a thing. <laughs> Already done. I also spliced in a bit of, uh, of you saying size matters not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the three steps and it's awkwardly written but the way to think about it is that uh, repression or rules or edicts, uh, I have a three-year-old. This, this is a thing that happens. I, I say to him, because I'm cooking in the kitchen, I was deep frying and the oil was splattering. And I said, hey, you can't come in the kitchen. Now, that, like, that as a thing isn't like, depending on how I said it in tone, he's three, I was freaked out because I didn't want him to get burned. Sometimes I'm not a perfect father. But that demand I put on him it, I, I kitchen like he's three. He doesn't really understand that, and that he can't come in there. That that relationship, the sig relationship of signification, and what I've said, the prohibition, this creates. Well, I, I the kitchen. I want to go in the kitchen, and now he. And this is literally how he fucking behaves. He just wants to sort of dive in and do this because his desires are still going underneath him. If I were to sit back and go, "Hey, uh, it was dangerous. Daddy freaked out. Uh, you can't run it." Like 
don't do this. This is dangerous. He'll understand systemically how it works and be able to, you know, grasp reality as, as he's coming to it. But these large scale laws, uh, don't have sex with anyone outside of your race, uh, be only have sex with women, uh, never, never be gay. Don't do these things. It's the, all of these things become these networks of machines that basically are repressing representations that create displaced representatives, dis, displaced represented's and underneath is desire still pumping away and making these things happen that's the functional way that we kind of have these things appear inside of our unconscious it's really incredible way to think through the whole thing shrock says is this what he means as the oedipal being the ultimate territoriality being projected on the full body of the psychoanalyst point where all things are like your father your boss politicians um um yeah i don't uh, okay, page 35. They must be defined in terms of modern territorialities. The neurotic is trapped within the residual or artificial territorialities of our society, reduces all of them to Oedipus as the ultimate territoriality, as reconstructed in the analyst's office and projected upon the full body of the psychoanalyst. Yes, my body is my father, my boss is my father, so it's cheap to save and so are you, father. Um, I, I don't think necessarily here that's the case. Um, I mean, it, 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 it comes into it. Um, it's, it's the same core principle, I think is how I would put it. Yes. And the idea is as desire is getting shaped specifically the way Oedipus works is it triangulates desire. Um, I made the joke the first time we were reading this, that if you imagine Oedipus as like a, a zombie that just eats desire and shits out representation, like that's all it does. And it just loves desire. And it does this over and over. Like, I, I still think that's a, a, kind of a fun way to think about it, but it's what it does is it triangulates, it shits triangles. You are mommy, daddy, me. I am on that coordinate somewhere. I'm either too close to my mother, my father, or I have a balanced life and I'm healthy or I'm too far displaced from both or the whole thing's broken and I don't deserve to be fixed. Like you only have a handful of options when it comes to how you're going to be Oedipalized. And as such, it just so happens that it uh, pushes the phrasing that allows for overall hierarchical activities and every everyone in charge is my father which represents the law and is all of these things so yes it's it's similar slightly different here the the paralogism of displacement does that here for sure um but that's more the prohibition against incest than the way that it sort of plays out um I think that one would probably be more, I want to say, application. Yeah, I mean, it, it, because the other side is when you're interpreting these things and talking through, I'm going to say it's application because when the therapist is going through things, it's very easy because if you believe in this and this triangulation to start assigning things to mommy, daddy, me, and to kind of buy into this, this entire thing. Uh, but these things, as if they were determinate. Uh, oh, yes, no, no, this is your relationship with your father. You should have talked to your boss. That's your father, because every relationship we have is now determinate. And my relationship with people is determinate based on my healthiness in the Oedipal framework. Um, so that tends to be how I sort of think about that. Um, if that helps, uh, Chirac. Does that make sense? Anyone want to jump in? Am I getting far off? I mean, I'm, I'm happy to sit here in awkward silence. It's shitty for anyone who's kind of stuck watching us. I think we have... We have four people watching us, and I'm the only one talking. Uh, and I'm sure it's not that great for them. But come on. Come on. 
Jump in, somebody. Uh, what is the displaced representative? The displaced representative is desire itself, as I, as I read it. The displaced representative is the distorted image of desire which is produced by the representation. The representation comes in with its signs and its machine, and it says, hey, uh, nope, I'm gonna step in. It drops itself basically on top of desire. Desire pounds into it and out the other side like Play-Doh comes a fucking displaced representative. It's like, oh, that's what I wanted. Cool, look at that thing. But it's it's a broken, it's not desire pure. It's it's put through the machine of the the semiotics and the uh, the signification that is in the prohibition itself. I'm I'm trying to piece it together, and that's the last part of the analysis I haven't figured out. But if incest is the retroactive effect of the repressing representation, then incest is the effect of the performance of of repression, right? So they go on to say. So just in terms of repressing representation, I believe that is male homosexuality um, being the, but that is the representation of alliance that represses the ambiguous signs of intense bisexual affiliation, right? So the alliant homosexuality performs the repression. What does it perform it on? It performs it on the repressed representative that which repression actually comes to bear. And that would be the germinal influx, which is right on 164. So that the germinal influx is the representative desire. That is what is affected by the alliant homosexuality, right? And that is the underlying, that's the underlying desire that is actually repressed. Well, that's the trouble though, the displaced representative. That's not the displaced, you said repressed. Yes, that's the repressed representative. So that answers two of the three questions. The third is, if the displaced representative is projected upon with categories rendered discernible and providing the falsified apparent image, what then is the falsified apparent image? The falsified apparent image is the entirety of the complex and desire. Uh, think of it as the act that is being uh, the act or the triangulation of myself uh, or the triangle, the, the, the triangle itself with Oedipus complex, my relation to my father, mother, very candidly. If, if we want to go with the example of miscegenation and the idea that, uh, oh, black people, white people can't have sex and get married. They shouldn't have kids uh, uh, and vote for Trump. I guess would be the rest of that sentence. Um, the the whole thing would be the uh, bigotry and and desire, like the distorted image of desire that's placed with that is. Oh, I actually want to do that. So the displaced representative would be, you know, the, the jungle love or whatever you no know, racist term you want to have out the other side. Um, but it's like that's the that's the 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 entire act the entire complex so for oedipus it's the oedipus complex is the displaced represented the image the distorted image of desire that's produced by the representation itself that's not produced by desire it's the distorted image of desire as desire sort of hits and gets subsumed underneath uh the repressing representation the signifier of the prohibition itself uh, i'll give you another example uh an honest day's work. You need to you need to work an honest day's work. It's a thing I heard a lot growing up. Uh, an honest day's work was working man's work, not white collar work. wasn't seen that way. Uh, an honest day's work. 
Now that, that is the repressing representation. This is the, the prohibition itself, which is you have to do real work and you have to be honest about it, which means it, it's actually a really, really oppressive concept when you break down all the semiotics of it. Uh, but what it, that's the repressing representation. Out the other side, the distorted image that's produced is the idea of being an honorable blue collar worker who's not part of a union, who just does good work and keeps his head down. Uh, underneath is the desire that's pushing against that. And the displaced represented, as you're saying, is the, the act of being that person, the, the person who, who goes with that. And you can do it with a lot of different stuff. Find an oppressive thing and an edict that's put on from on high. Uh, and uh, I, Republicans as a thing, uh, sorry if there's any listening, Republicans as a thing, uh, they absolutely are like, do not get into being gay. Gays are evil. Uh, straightness is the way to go. It's a, you know God's way, Adam and Eve, all of that stuff. The repressing representation is the prohibition. Don't, don't go have gay sex. Don't do these things. Now, the, that's the prohibition. The displaced represented, which is the distorted image of desire, is that I now, because as part of that, I am now, it sort of places me immediately in a pl place of I am either straight or gay, which is stupid in and of itself. And desire doesn't have that. Desire is kind of up for a lot of different stuff. <laughs> Say desire is a kinky one um, and doesn't really have a lot of goals. It's, it's up for it. The next step then is having, okay, I'm straight. I, I have to want these things. And that thing over there that I'm not supposed to have, this is the, the thing that's created, it's, which is stupid in and of itself. Desire is still underneath there pushing though. But it's one of the reasons you see all of this. Uh, if I were to say a politician got busted in a truck stop bathroom, you're not gonna go, oh, was it a Democrat in America? Like there's reasons, like this is how desire gets pushed and things get moved and we, are told we desire things, a falsified apparent image, the push towards these things, how it gets produced, how it gets pushed forward. The, it creates its own everything. It is a machine. It's a, it is an assemblage, Oedipus. And it knows what it's doing. That's how I read it. I probably said something horrifyingly offensive, and sorry if I did. Um, but yeah, so Cool Kid says, Oedipus is a great tool of authoritarianism, it seems. Uh, all prohibitions that utilize representation are that's that's why they're so good at what they do and it's going to be really important to understand how this operates because uh the the nature of how the representation comes in to repress uh, you can't do these things you do want these things as a as an idea and that complex matrices of demand of what you should be doing that comes from, let's say, comes from above, not from beneath. The desiring machines and desire is just pumping and you're wanting to go forward and keep going and keep moving. Uh, the representation comes from on high. It goes, no, you can't do this. And that comes with a big bag of representations. And those representations get laid out on the stage. And now desire goes, oh, I didn't have any of those things before. And now there's a stage and I'm hitting that stuff. And now I have a, a matrix of signs that I do want some and don't want others, I guess. But I didn't have those before. Before it was just people. Now it's uh, mom, dad, me, and Oedipus. Or uh, as we'll come to sort of talk through how this works in a lot of different ways, uh, through capital, for example, uh, 
the representations that are shown to me are not ones I had before. They're, they're forced in. So I then have that sort of secondary step where I now have this distorted image of desire that the representations created for me. I'm still, my, my repressed representative desire itself is still pumping underneath that stage though. And it's, that's their line. What really gets repressed by the prohibition is completely different from the false image of it produced by the prohibition. Desire gets displaced onto an erroneous signified belonging to the prohibitive system of representation rather than to desire itself. The desire gets placed onto the prohibitive system from the representation, from inside of that apparatus, not desire itself. Desire doesn't have a, desire doesn't know what mom is. It doesn't give a fuck about mom. It doesn't give a fuck about sister. It doesn't give a fuck about gay, black, uh, Palestinian or Israeli, not a thing uh, that it cares about. But we can, we have these, and then it slowly shapes us and puts us in little places, and then desire right underneath it. That's why they say it traps desire, because it right underneath and it stops, and it just pressure is created. You hear me? Yeah, yeah, there you are. Hello. Yeah, did we uh, talk about how uh, this, uh, the Oedipus complex, um, you know, comes into being as a repressive, um, you know, signifier? I mean, we have in the, we're, we're doing a review of 3.3. So the answer is yes, we've, we've read it. We haven't gone specifically. So if you want to dive in, please do, please do. Or if that's a question, we can try to answer it. I don't know which, if you were asking or if you were ready to dive in and explain. Either way is cool. Yeah, I, I kind of joined late for this group and, um, you know, and I wasn't really, uh, you know, um, I might've missed it before. You're good so, uh, go through it. Uh, did you want to take a shot at answering that or did, was it a question? Why well, I know that the, uh, the Oedipus complex, you know, is, uh, embedded into the, uh, Western culture from, you know, all the way back to the Greeks or maybe before, right. But the, um, but I was trying to get at where, how it came about as, and, and how it was used as a, as this repressive signifier. Oh, so that's uh, the next couple chapters are kind of talking about that genealogy here. We're at the we're at the place right now where we're talking about the question really raised here that we want to talk through is: uh, Is the Oedipus complex determinate? Is it in the nature of who we are as people to have this by as people, not just Western people born in America, white men, but like are there Aboriginal people? in you know, untouched tribes, and they also have the Oedipus complex, which there are, there were especially, but there still are a lot of people who maybe believe that. Um, so then the, the question would be, is that determinate or is this something that we have now and we are now utilizing and placing onto people and how does it work? How does the complex itself sort of keep itself living and going? Because we can go back and I can, we introduce ourselves to a tribe, we have this conversation, and suddenly it turns out as we talk to them for long enough about all of these things, hey, look, we've, we've, they're actually completely within the Oedipal complex. They have this incestuous desire because we've talked to them so much and told them they can't. And Deleuze and Guattari's argument is actually, no, if we go back, we can see very cleanly that the, the nature of the, we'll call them the, they say savage, we'll say prehistorical, uh, pre-Greek, whatever it may be, uh, uh, or even during that time, really. The way that the Oedipus complex worked 
didn't really exist because they didn't really have mom, daughter, son, father, the way that we think of them now, the way certainly Freud thought of them as he essentially came up with this theory during the uh, onset of the nuclear family in bougie industrial Europe. Uh, and he basically, through this sort of experience of what the nuclear family is and how it sort of operated, he drew this line back and he said, oh, this is true for everyone I know. It's got to be true. And, and as you start talking to people, it's like, oh, shit, look, all these people are at a place. America, it's Europe and all these people we talk to. And you know, Deleuze and Guattari's argument is like, well, wait, here's the thing. If someone has no Oedipal anything, like let's just say that there's a person who doesn't have any of the knowledge of mom, daddy, me, they live in these tribal societies. And we go back and we look and they have examples in the book of uh, ethnologists who, who've done this and who make these comments. And I say to them, hey, uh, just so you know, you know, one of the worst things that can happen is if you were to commit incest and fuck your own family, it's terrible. And by, by that, I mean, you know, you've got to respect your father. You've got to not fuck your mom. And, you know, this is how it works. That person on the other side who didn't have these things would go, oh, wait, I wasn't, I didn't think about myself in relation to those specific people as you talk about them. I just knew them as, as Judy or Randy or, Aaron or Sally or Heather. Like, I didn't think mommy, daddy, me, but now I am. Now I can't stop thinking mommy, daddy, me. And boy, you're right. I better not want to fuck them because that would be bad. So now the prohibition has like structuralized this thing that didn't have the structure. And the prohibition then comes out of that as this, well, I don't, I, I obviously want to fuck my mom now. That's the, 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 uh, the term is the, oh God, I hate their, their wording around all of this. Uh, the displaced represented, the distorted image of desire that's produced by representation. That's not desire. That's not actual desire. That's not flows or coded flows or decoded flows. That's a, it's a prohibition, pure representation. And uh, that's a thing that's created because of the fact that I've now been given these signs. And this is the big thing they're like, and I, I know I'm harping on it quite a bit. That's what this chapter is about, is, is understanding that genealogy between these three steps. The law tells us you will not marry your mother and you will not kill your father. We docile subjects say to ourselves, so that's what I wanted. Will it ever be suspected that the law discredits and has an interest in discrediting and disgracing the person it presumes to be guilty, the person the law wants to be guilty and wants to be made feel guilty? The uh, line's amazing for that and uh, pushes us very quickly in that direction of realizing, well, actually, these representations, again, they're not coming from desire. Desire is uncoded, pure. Uh, as we add representations to it, we're not even really coding desire. We're coding things and we're adding representations and suddenly things shift in how we handle that. So that's the, the, to them, this is the genealogy. How that continues on and how that moves into the body of the despot uh, and Oedipus, uh, I don't want to say sits in the background, but parts of it stick around as a function. Uh, parts of this prohibition uh, change and shift and suddenly uh, how power is distributed and how these things happen get added and elements break apart. So again, we have to think about 
if we think about the, the primitive machine as a, a lot of gears and levers and pulleys and all kinds of stuff, uh, the Socius isn't about saying, cool, that one moves back, here's a new machine, and then we wait for the next one, and there's all that stuff. It's like, no, we're adding new tools to that machine, and some of the tools might be an appendix for now, and it may not be useful, but we're going to be moving into another one, and then maybe a few of those other parts will rearrange, and that's kind of the genealogy of universal history that they're, they're starting to drive at, I believe. And I'll stop rambling now. If anyone... Like, if anyone has an edge to this, because again, I, this is just my reading of this and I'm trying to simplify it. I may be oversimplifying various terms. This happens to me because I tend to try to really just want to drive down to some basic points. If you're, there's anything to add or any further questions on that or edges, don't hesitate. Like, this is, this is intended to be a Q&A. We've got another 10-ish minutes. Uh, so it's uh, opening up. If anyone has questions, comments, anything. I guess to go back to the question I was asking, the best I can tell, the displaced, um, I think it's the displaced representative, I think it's Oedipus here, which is interesting because Oedipus is this faded image with which desire allowed something to be and it's passing through it. Um, yeah, there we yes. Go. It's passing but... through into the interior of the socius. The interesting thing about that then is that, if I remember correctly, it changes gears in the other socii, but I guess I was surprised because it seemed like, the, I guess like the first uh, kind of impulse is to go toward incest as that uh, representative that appears to be, I think, more fundamentally Oedipus here. But either way, that's really interesting because that means that um, as we see Oedipus changing roles in, in, in relation to representation and oppression, it's interesting to note here then that Oedipus or Oedipus as the displaced representative um, would work in the primitive socius to provide categories in that as part of the um, the overall displacement, the overall fourth paralogism that would displace desire through the representation through the representation of the, uh, the germinal influx, but also of this homosexual alliance, right? So what's kind of intriguing there then is that um because I was wondering like is, is are they arguing that women are oppressed here? How is this functioning? But it looks like what they're basically getting at here is this non-coded flows or uncodifiable flows that are represented here, um not through edifice, but through the germinal influx, right? The germinal influx of intensity that conditions all representations as the representative of desire. This is kind of interesting then because it sounds like what the socius, uh, the socius's relationship here, right? And why something like the um, the placenta would have the, the function it does in that myth or the dopamine. Because it sounds like this is effectively a representation working through, I mean, the affiliative and the aligned, right? But affiliative in the sense that there would be this point of declension, right? The, um, the administrative and the hierarchical, but also with the, I guess the way that the alliance is um, part of coordinating some of how that happens. I mean, it gets at the question that JK's, uh, I think that you're trying to raise, right? Which is why Oedipus? All right, I think everyone's uh, finishing out. 
Um, any last notes, questions? Because I'm going to uh, end all this. Uh, and just keep going. Uh, so next week we will be moving on to 3.4, which is great. Um, excited for that for sure. Um, yeah, it's great. Thank all of you for joining. Um, please uh, take part. Join us on Discord. Find us anywhere. Uh, Deleuze and Guattari Quarantine Collective DGQC on almost any social media that matters. Uh, and you can find us. Uh, thanks so much. And we look forward to chatting with you all next week. Thank you.